So I just kind of looked at reality. For me, reality was your life can be taken like that. So you better make today fucking awesome because you might not have tomorrow. It's not a straight line. I'm Jordan Harding and welcome to the podcast. We're about to learn how people like you and I overcome career setbacks, pivot, reinvent themselves, and find work that aligns with their top strengths. Let's dig in together as we learn how these incredible people become the best version of themselves. All right, so on today's episode, I'm grateful to be with Nicole Kalman. She's a born connector, a friend, and founder of AIP Connect. Nee, as she's known by many, spent the first 17 years of her career as a marketer both in agency and at Coca-Cola. After deciding on an, after declining, I should say, an opportunity to be a partner at a multinational ad agency, Nee had the realization that she wanted to market people rather than brands. And that led her to founding AIP Connect. Nicole has the opportunity to connect hundreds, if not thousands, of people with awesome companies. She's a dedicated mother, hosts one of the top holiday parties in the area from the industry, and she's authentic, she's natural, she's real. Nee, welcome to It's Not a Straight Line. Thanks, Jordan. I'm not even sure I'm going to be able to add much more than all that intro. That's huge. (laughs) So, Nee, if you go back to when you were in high school and university, what were you like? Tell me about the potential you saw in yourself. Yeah, and so I'm going to just be very candid, and hopefully my kids aren't listening, because I was a train wreck. And this, the thought there is, like, I was legitimately a concern for my mom. I was not that interested in academia. I was, I'd say I was naturally very bright didn't really uh, focus on academics that much. I did what I needed to do to get by, but I think I was way more interested in the social aspect of school. But I graduated, went through went through high school, graduated, went traveling for a year just to try to grow up or do more socializing, one or the other. Depends on how you look at it. Experienced life, we'll say. And then uh, came back, decided to study travel. So I went into hospitality and tourism at Ryerson, and my logic was just that. I loved adventure. I loved travel. I loved experience, and I thought, okay, well, I'm going to make a career of that. So I did that for four years, um, and it was good. Actually, then I really buckled down. In college or university, whatever you want to call it, I really got into it, and yeah, I think I made the best of that and did quite well. And then I graduated and started working in the travel industry. So I was working in corporate travel and booking people's trips. And I discovered very quickly with a very, very low salary, $18,000 a year. That's what entry salary rates were because I'm about a hundred. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Give people can, some context if you don't mind. When was that? Oh God. When did I graduate? 90, 1992. And were a lot of your friends making more money at the time? And, and was did you take that? We didn't that talk about it. We didn't have the same competitive zone uh, as I think my kids are having today. So I have a 23 and 21-year-old daughter. So Dylan, my 23-year-old, just graduated university. And I know the conversations that were going on. She went to the same high school as me, which is North Toronto. 
And I know the conversations that were going on in high school for my kids versus what we were dealing with. So when I was in high school, nobody gave a shit if you were going to university, not going to university, if you were going to higher education, if you were getting a job, if you're traveling, if you're taking a gap year, nobody seemed to judge one another. There was no care. We just did what we felt like doing and everybody, we just had a great friend group. So fast forward to post-graduating, I have no idea if my friends were making more money. I just felt like 18K was painstaking. And I quit. And so I was bartending at the time as well in a local pub. And a guy who worked in that agency hired me to be a Pepsi girl uh, and tossed me 30K out of the gate. He just said, you should come work here. I don't know what you're doing being a bartender. You should come and work at my ad agency, be a producer, he called it. And I was going to pay me 30,000. And that's how I pivoted into advertising. It was truly just out of the notion of somebody it was money. It was strictly money. And I thought, you know what, I'd rather make money and pay for my travel than pursue a career in the travel industry that seems super sexy, but not be paid anything. So when you were a bartender, the, the decision to go and work in the ad agency was was strictly money at the time. 100%. Was the so notion, I, I love travel. I was passionate about travel. I knew I'd always be a traveler. But I was a 25-year-old, 24-year-old kid, because keep in mind, we had universe, we had grade 13, mm-hmm. and I took a gap year. So I graduated you know, a little later than my um, kids will. But uh, yeah, I was 24, 25, wanting to get out of the house, because I lived at home still, because I lived in downtown Toronto, dying to get out of the house, and thinking, I'd rather make money. Where where did you get to go on your gap year? Oh God, I traveled all over Europe. I was a train wreck. We just partied. Was it was it Europe. just you or did you go with someone? My all-time best friend. He's still my all-time best friend. That's yeah. Amazing. So it was a fantastic journey. Uh, and my family's Eastern European. So I had family to visit and we just toured around and I'd grown up going to Europe an awful lot. So I was really comfortable traveling. I didn't, I didn't realize that. What's, what's your family background for Eastern European? Hungarian, Jordan. That's Hungarian. my first language. We could turn the whole conversation it, into Is Hungarian. it really? Yeah. No way. And you yeah. only speak, do you speak two languages or do you speak more? No. French never really kicked in for me. Wow. Okay. But, so yeah. I, I was, I was going to ask, you know, what drew you to marketing and the agency world? Like other than the money, what, what appealed to you? That's a fantastic question. And I would love to give you a great answer and just, no, look, it's, uh, I can't even say it was a madman thing because we didn't have madman. I wasn't that familiar with the industry. In fact, I bartended at a bar that was dedicated to the ad, ad world. It was called Wiley's at Young and Summerhill. And it was all ad execs that were in there. So I saw the ad world as, uh, as people who negotiated. It was the truly like coming up with the creations over many a martini and doing the napkin drawings and the creative concepting. And I watched it all sort of unfold in front of me and think, oh, it's interesting. I don't know if I was actually that drawn to it. It was legitimately a guy said, you should be my producer, be great opportunity. And I jumped into it for the extra, for the extra $12,000. $30,000 felt doable to sort of live a life in Toronto. So it doesn't sound like you took much time to really think about that or dwell on that that decision. Is that is that been a theme throughout? I was just going to say that I'd say that's sadly a pattern that will come very clear through this entire conversation. I've never taken a ton of time to noodle things through. If I'm not feeling something, I'm fairly not erratic. I wouldn't go that far, but I would say that ignorance is bliss, legitimately. 
and naivety and not spending too much time digging too deep. There's benefit to both. And I'm not encouraging or recommending the path I took because I think, you know, it can age someone pretty quickly, but because uh, it's riddled with a lot of anxieties, but you just go with it two feet full on and just hope for the best. Fingers crossed. That's interesting. Okay. I want to, I want to go back to that. Um, how do you, how do you describe like now that what you're doing, what you're doing, like, how do you describe the first 17 years of your career to people? You know, I heard on uh, an interview you did when you started working on the brand Schick and you were like, I don't want to work on this, this shaving brand. And it ended up being, you know, one of the, the one, one of the best things you worked on because of the relationships you built um, how do you describe that time at, at both agencies and working for a global powerhouse like a Coca-Cola? I think it's great learning. And I think it's just, it's growing up. It was 17 years of kind of understanding business. You're certainly, like, as I said, the hospitality and tourism degree was steeped in business, right? So we took stats, we took economics, we took accounting. I wasn't great at it, but I nailed it. We took all that stuff. We also took marketing and we took that stuff, but we had a little bit of cooking or we had, you know, Bev alcohol and we got to learn about that world. So uh, I definitely had the fundamentals, enough curiosity and interest. And my parents, you know, were fairly educated people. And so I was raised curious and interested in business for sure. My dad was an entrepreneur. He was an architect. Um, So how would I describe that? 17 years, A, it was a bit happenstance. So that very first job, when I jumped into the small boutique agency, I did it for two years. I liked it, but it was so, I'm pivoting here for a second, just humor me, but I was in there for a short, short period of time. And the, and the, and the reason I jumped out of it was because I saw an opportunity at FCB, a friend of a friend connected, um, reached out to me and the place I was at was entrepreneurial. It was four people. It was tiny. So I wore lots of hats. I think it was fantastic growth and learning. And I kind of wish I'd stuck with it because I think you wear, you do everything. So you're, you know, in, in an FCB or in a big corporate machine, you're a cog in a wheel. You're put into a role and responsibility and there's, you know, and everybody's looking out for themselves, doesn't want you crossing over to their territory. And it's very territorial. But I really, as a young person who is quite highly ambitious and hungry to make money, I would say was a big driver for me. Passion, I pushed passion to the side. Keep in mind, I was married to an artist. So I just want to add that in because that changed the conversation too. There was a pragmatic reality for me to generate an income so that he could pursue his passion and his interest. And I'm not saying that was like, I don't, I'm not a martyr for that. It was just, uh, he was good at something. I'm not sure if I gave a shit about travel other than I knew I wanted to do a lot of it. So that again, boiled down to more of a financial decision versus do I need to live, breathe and eat my passion or should I just work and pursue my passion when I have time and when I have the funds to do so? Uh, Anyhow, but I chose to go to FCB and I was there for five years and it was hierarchical. I think that the entrepreneurial boutique environment of the four people where I wore lots of hats, it was too random for me. And I needed structure. I'd been in schools for years and I needed the structure. I needed the hierarchy. I needed to see how I could go from A to B to C to D. So at that stage in my life, I think it was growth. It was learning. It was understanding how everything was working. And I I think those were the drivers, just figuring stuff out. And then when I went on maternity leave, 
uh, Coke, who was my had been my client for that full five years at FCB, uh, they actually called my boss and let that, let him know that they'd like to bring me in house. They didn't call me to see if that was of interest. It was a decision made outside of me, which was interesting. And so I moved over to Coke. And so, and did did that uh, did that tick you off at, at Coke that like they called your boss and then they brought yeah, you in? Yeah, I, I really liked FCB and I loved the group I was working with, and I felt like it was a bit of a family. So mm-hmm. the thought that I was kind of cut into a new opportunity to didn't organize it. Like I used to watch the inner workings of what went on with Coke because they were my client for five years. You get pretty intimate with the group over there. And I wasn't sold on that being a good fit for me. I'm not a very corporate player. And the notion, I saw it as a, as a complex organization with a lot of people looking out for themselves and a lot of, and very cutthroat. And that's really not my, my style. But my boss at FCB was Sydney, you're insane. It's a fantastic opportunity. If you're going to be in marketing, you're going to the top tier brand. Why would you not go? You're going to learn a ton. And he was candid with me just to say I'm a bit too informal, shall we say, in business, a bit too casual, a bit too shoot from the cuff and say what's on my mind. And he thought that it would be good training ground for me to refine, for lack of a better term, my style. So I was at Coke. I think it did the polar opposite because I watched watched the corporate machine function and it made me more incensed around, why don't we just say what we're thinking? Why don't we just be (laughs) candid? So I'd walk into meetings and blow shit up. I was a gong show. I cannot believe I didn't get let go. And you were there for what, five years? Uh, Just under. And I had a map. Just under? But yeah. Yeah. Okay. An extensive period of time for someone who probably didn't fit the mold at all. And then what was the, and then you went back into agency, I think it was six degrees. Yeah. And, and, I, and actually the, the departure from Coke was interesting because they'd have weekly restructures. That's a shitty way to say it, but I used to tease all the time going, oh, who's getting cut this week? Like it was just a constant churn and I never got cut. I never understood why, but I never got cut. So eventually they had dangled a promotion over my head for an extensive period of time as they do. And you have to interview, even though they say this, this is the job for you. They're not appointing you that opportunity. You have to interview for the job. You have to prepare for the job. And then you may or may not get the job. So the whole thing was just absurd to me. If you want me for the job, put me in the job. Don't have me work for the job. Seemed nuts to me. Seemed counterintuitive. Nonetheless, I did. I put the work in, I put the time in. And then for six months, they hadn't hired anybody in that role. They said it was mine, but they weren't quite there ready to do it. And I was just, I hit a wall. So I ended up going to my boss and just, I had two offers in my hand from two ad agencies and just said, look, if I'm not going to get the promotion, I'm going to just carry on. And uh, that was the end of that. She couldn't, she couldn't definitively say whether the promotion was going to work out or not. And I just had hit a wall. So I went to back to ad agency. um, And at the time uh, I had an opportunity to go to one that was really my cut, my style super cool downtown. Not that I'm super cool. I just felt like it was where I could see myself. It was just funky. It was boutique-y. I knew the owner painfully well, but he was offering me, you know, a low level salary-ish, all things considered, in comparison to this other agency that was offering me not only a shit ton of money, um, but equity. They said, if I stuck around for five years, I would get a piece of the pie. 
And I knew this boutique agency and the owner was not going to give up equity at any point in the game. So I went with this really random agency that I'd never heard of that was in a shitty location in Toronto that worked on obscure brands like Chic, raising cat- uh, shaving category was not my happy place. Um, but I did it again. It was a money decision. I had two young kids by that point and, uh, and I did it for five and a half years and I actually really enjoyed it. It's interesting. And, and so for you early on, it really, it really wasn't about finding your purpose, your passion. It was, you know, money, money seems to be a big driver early on in your career. Yeah, I think so. I'm going to just add one part. So when I graduated university, my dad died very suddenly of pancreatic cancer. So I'm 24. I've just graduated and to lose a parent is really quite traumatic and traumatic because I'd lived a fairly middle upper middle class or affluent existence whatever you want to say and the rugs pulled from under you and not only is the rug pulled but his existence might not have been as uh full as you might have perceived as a kid right so there's a lot of realities that get uncovered when someone passes and how what what the landscape really looks like in your family so not bad stuff just good learning growing up super quick good learning right So I did, I think I got into quick survival mode. And I think that was a big change in my being because I just thought, okay, so my parents gone, my mom was still around and she's excellent, but she was not, she didn't work. She was remarried. Um, So it's on me. I got to make sure that I'm going to be okay. And because I lived a good life, I wanted to make sure I had that for my kids. I was on a hardcore trajectory to have kids, get married, get married, have kids. I did do it in that order and uh, build a career. And then I just hit a wall, literally hit a wall at 39. Yeah. I never knew your dad passed away that early. And I can't, I can't even imagine that must've been so, so difficult and challenging at that time. Were, were you close with both of your parents growing up? And, and it sounds like you had a pretty comfortable upbringing. And then when that happened, you realized, okay, I really need to start making money and make sure, you know, I give the same life I had to my, to my kids. We were close. It was a different, like Eastern European. It's a different sort of vibe. The mom's home and the dad's working and he was a workaholic. I love my dad, but look, it was tragic. And by no means do I want to minimalize what that is to go through. But I also think like at the time you literally sit there going, my life's over. Life as I know it is completely over and I'm not going to get past this. But I actually look back and think it was a true blessing because I don't think I'd be where I am today because I didn't give a shit about anything. If you watch somebody go from literally healthy boy to skin and bones, like a skeletal of a human being for two, over two month period and die, you really got to wonder what what it's all about. And I'm not a religious person. I had nothing to sort of think through in that period. So I just kind of looked at reality. For me, reality was your life can be taken like that. So you better make today fucking awesome because you might not have tomorrow. That's always been my kind of driving reality. Tragic way to uncover that, but kind of fortunate that at 24, you get that bandaid ripped off, but quick and go, don't spend too much time going too deep on shit because might not be around tomorrow. So who gives a shit? 
Yeah. Wow. That's so powerful. Uh, and there's so, so many things I, I sit there and dwell on and I've always, I've always respected about you that, you know, you live life with so much positivity and this attitude of, I'm just going to be myself and be, be authentically who I am. And it, it never seems to me, me like you care what, what someone might think of you. You are just who you are. Is it, is there anything you look back to at, when you were 24 and how you got yourself out of that from a, from a frame of mind, I imagine it was tough that young. Like, was there any skills you tried to pick up at that time? Uh, yes and no. My mom wasn't big into therapy or anything. And she was kind of, and when I said went to her, she'd be horrified if she listened to this, but it's pretty funny (laughs) because she's not a hardcore person, but you know, they live, she were Hungarian Jews. She lived through the Holocaust, legitimately lived through the Holocaust. I won't go into huge detail, but you know, she had her own bloody experiences and running across the iron curtain being shot at at 19. So her reality was quite different to what we have had the experience to live. And, um, so when my dad died so suddenly and tragically, and I said to my mom, like, I know we're Jewish, but we don't really do Jewish things. So what do we believe in? Like what, where, where does this live right now? How do, how do I sort of, um, work with what's just happened? And my mom's like, I don't know how you work with it. He's gone. That's it. Done. That was it. I'm like, sorry, what? And she goes, yeah, yeah, no, like, you know, you're, you're alive and then you're dead. And that was kind of like, it was just very curt and clear. So what do you do with that? You just kind of go, okay, gotcha. And that's kind of, I don't know. So what did I do? I, I went to Jamaica for two weeks and got stoned. And then I came back and then I just kind of went, okay, I got to figure this out. I mean, certainly over the years I've, I meditate and stuff and I love doing that when I'm up for it. I can't say I do it religiously every day, but that, you know, you do go through ebbs and flows. Life is full of all sorts of demented stuff, like this crazy thing called COVID. And you just kind of go, I don't know, I got to get through the day and I want it to be a good day. So you, you find ways to balance yourself and find your peace, so to speak. Do you use one of the apps to meditate, like Calm yeah, or the Headspace? Calm. Yeah. My, na- my uh, stepson actually uh, bought me the app for the year and I actually kind of like it. But I actually did the John Cabot Zen. Okay. Um, 13 week mindfulness based stress reduction course where there's in fact a day of silence, a total day of silence retreat. My kids have teased me to this day, like, mom, there's no bloody way you could do a day of silence. Uh, so you it was did do it? fantastic. I could not recommend it better. Pardon me. You did do that. The, the day of silence. Oh Yeah. I just know oh, yeah, how much you love to weeks. connect with people and chat and that. Good for you. That's amazing. Oh, I, I use the Calm app too. I like it a lot. Um, oh, the John Cabot's in book is fantastic. And the whole course is in there. If you ever decide to pick it up, but it's called uh, huge catastrophe living. I freaking love it. And okay, it's kind I'll of the check. foundation of all meditation. Okay. I'll check step. that out. I, I think you've told me before about how you started like getting interested in recruiting, but you know, people say life changes in a moment and it's really a collection of moments. How did you go from working in marketing and ad agencies and then starting your own, your own company? Right. So again, ignorance, brilliantly blissful. Uh, Cause I don't, I don't make a plan. I'm not a planner in that way. So here's precisely what happened. I feel like I'm trashing all these brands, but 
I was five and a half years in my career. Partnership conversations were actively happening in terms of paperwork. And I was sitting in a meeting at Kraft and I'm sitting with all the senior VPs and the entire campaign is dedicated to um, making KD, Kraft Dinner, a healthy alternative for moms to consider to feed their kids. And I'm literally sitting there in the boardroom going, you got to be fucking kidding me. So as a young mom with two young kids, I'm thinking under no circumstance, am I opening a pack of KD with powdered cheese, pouring it on some noodles and thinking, yeah, totally nutritionally serviced my children. So I guess I walked out of that meeting was just like, I'm so done. I cannot do this shit. And so I quit on the spot, went into my boss's office and I was like, yeah, I'm done. And he's like, me, you're not done. I was like, oh, Tom, I'm so done. I can't even begin to tell you how done I am. So I will give you a month. I'll give you two months. I don't give a shit. I don't know where I'm going, but I can't do this anymore. And uh, that was the end. So we agreed to an exit strategy. I resigned. He just said, look, take some time. I think you just need to breathe for a moment. So I quit uh, and I started doing consulting and I created my brand as anything is possible. So back to the uh, Hungarian roots, my name is Nicole, but in Hungarian, A, my mom spelt it with no E, which is demented. It doesn't even exist as name. <laughs> and two, uh, you know, in, in Canada, you say Nicole, but in Hungarian, it's Nicole because they pronounce the first vowel of every name. So uh, yeah, that's how Ni came to be because my girlfriends all called me Ni because they didn't really understand my name in the first place. And then I created anything as possible. And the whole notion of that brand was just hire me, gun for hire. Genuinely don't give a shit what I do. I can do brand strategy. I can solve problems. I'll go work in agencies or client side, but do not introduce me to your clients. Because if I get, if I meet the client, then I get hooked and I get sucked back in. So I was just sort of saying, I'll do whatever. And I got hired by strategy and playback magazine to produce conferences for them for 30, for $30,000. And I never had to go to the office. It was brilliant. So I just did that. Like I just piecemealed a whole bunch of different gigs together. And while I was doing that stuff, I was just trying different stuff going, who knows what I'm going to do, but I cannot do consumer packaged goods marketing. And I, um, Tom, the guy who I'd been working for, Tom came at me and said, uh, knee replace yourself. I hate recruiters. You never be in their dog in marketing. If you're seriously not going to come back, replace yourself. And that is how I started recruiting. So I worked with Tom. He paid me a nominal fee because, and I didn't ask him for money at the onset because I wasn't even sure if I could deliver what he wanted, but I'd done a lot of the hiring for the team and I wanted to certainly leave him in a good position. And I hired a guy who's still in the role today and who is now an equity partner in the organization. So that's 15 years later. So it was a fantastic fit. And it, after I did that, I realized uh, there's an opportunity here because A, I genuinely love helping people navigate the path. And I genuinely have disdain for recruiters because I had shitty experiences with recruiters and they used to solicit me all the time when I was in my career and throw shit at me in the hopes that I would help them put money in their pocket. It wasn't about my career. It was about them making an income. So the whole transaction felt so there's a reason they call them used car salesmen or flesh peddlers like they just uh and i don't even know if they understood the roles i remember when i was at coke they had an opportunity in mississauga 
to work on Scott's paper towel, true story. And I thought, I have no interest in going to work on paper towel. And I don't want to go to Mississauga. But the guy didn't care. He needed me to go to the interview. He needed a bum in a seat. He knew I'd interview well. And he knew that the Coke brand would look good on my resume. And he was relentless. And when I didn't go to the interview, he, he wouldn't meet with me when I was looking for a career. And I thought, you're a douche. It's a lot so, to digest. Yeah. And, and, and Tom was at, was it Six Degrees Advertising, the position yeah. you replaced? Yeah. And, and that's how it's, so after you found that person and it's amazing to think that person's still in the role today, it just goes against, yeah, goes against, uh, how people seem to deal with their careers today. But so then after that, were you like, huh, I should try and get more of these. Tom, Tom kept asking me to do stuff. So I did a VP of operations, creative director, account exec. Like I really didn't care how junior or senior, how much money the person made really didn't matter to me. All I cared about is helping Tom fill his company with exceptional people. Cause I love Tom. I love the group of people. I just didn't like the work. I'd hit a wall of just cynicism. And, and was that, you said at 39, you hit a wall. Was that, was that around that time? Was that that time? Oh yeah. That'd yeah. be like midlife crisis, 40 year olds. What am I doing? And, and when you left, were you, did, it, did it freak you out that you're just going to leave this job and you had no, no plan, you didn't know where you were going to get money, or did you have so much? I had no nest egg. We had no money. I was blowing up my marriage because I was just done. And I just said, fuck it. And I don't think it stressed me out as much as it stressed my mom out. My mom was horrified. She was horrified when I quit Coke, horrified when I quit my career. Uh, and I just said, you know what, mom, like I'll bartend worst case scenario. I will bartend. I'll be fine. I'll figure it out. I like serving people. So that makes me happy. I'd be, I've, I've bartending was probably my happiest gig. I like recruiting though, too. So when did you start, you know, building your recruiting firm with, you know, people and you're like, okay, this could actually turn in. Did you think it could turn into something within the first few years? No, it was not even that formalized. It was just that Tom's needs turned into, I'm meeting lots of cool people and I, I really like the concept here. So then I started floating the idea by people like I said, so I was doing a lot of consulting at the same time. So I was doing 10 different things. I'm working with Playback and Strategy magazine, uh, which is Brunico, um, producing content for their conferences. And then I'm doing, I'm working with Tony Chapman at Cap C, and I'm working on McCain and different campaigns and helping them behind the scenes. And I just, I'd piecemeal together a whole bunch of shit and I'm doing recruitment. But the recruitment kept getting more, I was just more interested in it. It made me happy. Um, and I also wanted flexibility with my kids cause they were sort of seven and nine, I would say. Yeah. Um, seven and nine, exactly. Uh, and so I wanted that. So that gave me a level of flexibility and I thought, you know what, this recruitment thing's interesting to me. So I actually reached out to some recruiters that I knew that I thought I liked, uh, and they, everybody told me not to do it. Everyone said, everyone said, don't do it. You're going to hate it. You're going to become the douchebag recruiter. You're going to become that sleazy person who's just in it for the money. It's not, it, co companies don't want recruiters. They do their own thing. And the name, everyone said anything is possible. It's a shitty name. It's not going to fly. So I just found like all people ever do is tell you why, why something's not going to work. And at a certain point, you just go, fuck it. I'm going to go for it and see what happens. <laughs> 
So that was it. And so I just reached out to my entire Coke network. So I had a really, I maintained a good relationship. I've always maintained good relationships. And I reached out to everybody I knew at Coke and because they had all been let go through that weekly restructure, landed at all these other companies. And I just said, look, if you guys need a person, anybody, don't care, level, whatever, give me a shot. And I never charged a fee up front. I only charged if I actually was successful in what I did. Wow. You know what's crazy? Uh, first of all, as a sidebar, Nee's been incredible throughout my whole career. You know, I consider you a friend, a mentor. You've always been supportive. Nicole's placed me into a role in my past and introduced me to countless people. And I was always, you know, attracted at the beginning because I loved your name like anything is possible. <laughs> because to me, I always thought anything is possible, right? And I do think it's it's your the way you carry yourself and the, the no BS approach that people you know gravitate towards. What do you have to say uh, for people that have had a, a career that hasn't been linear and are told by a lot of those recruiters like, you know, this is the box I'm looking for because you didn't you didn't stay in your own box. I heard you on another podcast say, you know, read something totally different, like outside of your comfort zone. How do you how do you make sure you don't put people into a box when you're recruiting? No, I mean, so it's interesting and my clients aren't going to love this. But the truth is a recruiter is hired by the company, right? Yes. And there's two things that I think about when I'm being hired to do a recruit. Number one, would I go work at that company? Because if I wouldn't, how can I represent them authentically in the marketplace? So for example, when Samsung hired me to build their marketing team, I'm sitting there going, with all due respect, their whole mantra is live to work, which is counter to my existence. I'm not sure in, the, in that zone uh, this is just my perception that women in leadership are very uh, touted. And so there was a lot of things just fundamentally with Samsung that might ha not have resonated for me. However, Mark Childs was the CMO at the time. And Mark Childs had been the CMO at Campbell's. And I knew of the guy, I just didn't know him personally. And so the team was under Mark Childs. And so I went, I asked the H, head of HR if I could spend an hour with Mark. And they thought that was demented. Mark doesn't have time to meet the recruiter. That's why we do what we do. And I was like, well, that's cool. But if Mark doesn't have time to meet me, then I probably can't do the recruit. Because fundamentally, I'm not sure the brand works for me other than I get it's super cool and innovative and funky. But philosophically, just from an EQ standpoint, emotional connection to the organization. I don't know if it flies for me. I need to get some sound bites from Mark to get his authentic perception of why he took this opportunity from Campbell's to Samsung, why this works for him so that I can then wrap my brain around whether that works. So I did. Mark actually took the time. I had a fantastic meeting with the boy and I'd support him in a heartbeat anytime. So that's why I started to work with Samsung. So working on brands that are important and that, that I can wrap my brain around what the upside is, is critical. But the point is they're paying my tab, right? So in theory, their perception of a recruiter is I'm out there hustling to find people that want to work for their brand. But my philosophy is not that. My philosophy is no, I am talking to people 
letting people guide the conversation. And I, my job is to let them know all the opportunities that I know of in the marketplace. I'm not trying to whore you into an opportunity. I'm not trying to sell you to an opportunity. I have possibilities, and that's why we're probably chatting. But if that's not up your alley, tell me what is up your alley, because what I can do is help you network. And it's my pleasure. And I help people network all the time. So I don't know how, I don't always have time for it, but I, that, that makes me happy. Like my happiest day will be when I need no money. I don't give a shit about money. And I can just help people. You want to talk to the head of Google? Done. Let's call the boy. Like, I just don't know why there's barriers to connect with individuals and try, and especially if you're super passionate about something to go, this is the right gig for me. And here's why. There's also a misperception of like people have a misread on their own capabilities. So you got to balance that a little bit, right? Like I do have some morons who come to me going, oh, fuck, I should be the president of XYZ. I'm like, oh, cool. Good luck with that. (laughs) Hope that works out for you. So, you know, like there's got to be reality check. So a lot of people, what you just said is like, hey, let's connect with so-and-so. Let's network. Let's do this. You know, they, they have fear of doing those things, right? And you and I originally met in 2012 at Canadian Sponsorship Forum, and we just had a great, great chat. Yeah. What do you tell your, let's say, what do you tell your daughters? What advice do you give them about building relationships and building networks? Shake people's hands, have conviction in your bloody handshake, but don't rip their bloody hands off. (laughs) Then this is post-COVID or pre-COVID. Yes, yes. I remember sitting in the car with Dylan. I was like, Dylan, rehearse your handshake with me. She's like, mom, bug off. I'm like, no, I'm serious. Like shake my hand. She's like, I'm not shaking your hand. Yeah. Like I cannot emphasize how critical it is to shake someone's hand and give a shit when you shake their hand, look them in the face and actually feign interest that you're excited to meet that person. And I tease when I say feign. Yeah. So I don't know, this whole COVID shit storm has prevented us from shaking each other's hands. So I have to spend hours on a video call trying to understand mm-hmm. if somebody has legitimate DNA that I can connect with, because I just think the handshake's critical. What do I say to the girls? So, I mean, like Tegan's had an interesting pivot. She was in business school for two years, came to me last spring, early COVID and said, mom, shoot me if I ever have to look at an economics book again, I can't do commerce. And so she quit. Uh, She said she wanted to pursue music, which is a parent's, you know, I was going to say worst nightmare, but that's because my ex-husband is an artist. Uh, No, look, I love the, the arts. It's just tricky to to survive. So I'm like, okay, that's cool. You should do that. And I encourage you to do that, but you're going to have to figure out, like, I don't know what that means pursuing a career in music. Um, So anyway, she went to Humber for jazz and now she's going to New York for musical theater. So I think, and that's tough. Like that's tough to support as a parent, but you know what? I give her huge credit. She's got balls. I think you just got to have balls and go for it. I actually hold her now in the highest of regard, just going, I'm, she better not listen to this, but I just think uh, it's so bloody impressive because I don't. I think it takes balls to go to New York. She's going to a school. She got a music scholarship, and uh, she's pursuing it. And I think good for her. Like it's freaking. It's going to be tough. It's going to be a tremendous amount of rejection for the occasional. Oh, here's a here's a possibility. But she's into it, and she's landscaping. She's just going to piece together her career to to fuel her passion and also generate an income. I think that's the ticket. 
Well, it sounds uh, similar to how you were piecing things together. Totally. Built, anything is possible. And, you know, Jim Carrey spoke about how his father was an accountant and would have been a great comedian. And he got fired as an accountant in what he thought was the safe job. So Jim Carrey was like, hey, why not give what I actually care about a thought or a chance? Because I could still end up where I was if I did what my father did. Um, nee, what? It, yeah, go, go ahead. Go, go. No, I was just going to say that's tragic. I talked to so many people who come in with their shoulders slumped and just kind of going, oh, my God, this is my life. Like, how did I get here? I don't want to do this shit anymore. It is tragic. And and I think that, you know, that's another reason I, I wanted to create these conversations is because I think it's sad how many people go through their waking hours doing things and working with people they don't want to work with. And mailing it in and being half-assed and just not, yeah, just doing it because they feel they have to. It's tr- yeah. it's so sad. Because, uh, because as you spoke about your father, I think he would have you know, passed at a younger age. Like you never know when, uh, when that last day is going to hit. Yeah. I think now it's actually been really interesting. And my hope is through this whole COVID disaster that people, cause people are taking stock. People are looking at their shit going, seriously, this is what I'm going to do every day. I'm going to sit on a video. I'm going to participate in a meeting that I don't give a shit about. I'm going to homeschool my kid. I'm going to live in a city that I don't want to live in. And people are moving different places and changing careers. Like, it's mental out there right now. And it's fantastic. I think it's awesome. Because people are shaking it up and just going, I don't think I can do this anymore. Uh, need to, to end it off, you know, what what's the impact you've always wanted to make with AIP Connect? And and where who are the people you like to connect with? And, and how can they get in touch with you? The impact. The impact is just do the right thing. I have a team of lots of folks that work with me and uh, from young to old. And I just go, guys, it's pretty simple. If you you feel good about it, go with it. If you don't, shut her down. If you feel like a candidate is into the gig and you want to help them get there, make it happen. And if you're not sure about it, don't sell shit. We're We're not selling. So just do the right thing. It's really simple. If your gut is there, go with it. If it's not there, if there's even an inkling of no, it's a no. And that means for the client or the candidate. Uh, And so I'm speaking specifically of AIP. We get the term refreshing all the time. If I could coin, like refreshing is it for me. If I can always, you know, make it a refreshing conversation for someone that they walk away going, oh, I thought I was just going to talk to some recruiter who's not going to give a shit and conceivably throw me into a gig. I don't know, shoot me the day I get that call. So I traditionally get refreshing. So that's important to me. Um, what do I want AIP to be? I want, I want us to help connect exceptional people to exceptional people like corporations and companies that give a shit and do good work. And that doesn't mean I wouldn't represent a Kraft and a Coke and some of the companies I've had the opportunity to work for. It's all relative, right? Like it was a certain point in my career where I sat in a meeting at Kraft going, shoot me. But for the right person at the right stage in their career, there's all sorts of value and benefit you can get from working at any of these companies. It's just you got to really dig deep and go, what are you looking for? What do you want? What's this stage going to be versus the next phase of life. I just think we kind of, it's a journey. We go through different points in our life where other things matter. 
And I think coming up like COVID especially must have been a pretty challenging time for your business, especially probably at the beginning. And, and I heard you say somewhere you're going to you're going to come out with with a vengeance. The other thing that, you know, I heard you say is you always think about how you can add uh, value to at least like one person's life throughout the day. So you always go through emails and you're you're getting back to people why has that always been important to you in terms of getting getting back to people and adding some value? Because I think people generally are super negative. I don't know why it is, but I do. And I feel people look for a reason why you shouldn't do something versus why you should. And I think, uh, I just think there's a lot of darkness generally, and I just don't get it. So I just think if you can, you know, I don't know. I like I just think it's so simple to make someone feel good. Like I actually, this is so moronic and I can't believe I'm going to tell you the story, but it happened yesterday. I'm walking home from my mom's. I have a small dog. She's sniffing this guy's lawn. We're in the heart of Forest Hill. The boy came out, this older curmudgeon twat, for lack of a better term, looks at me and says, your dog better not be doing anything on my lawn. And it's not even his lawn. It's outside of his fence. Okay. So I have two choices in that. Like he was just an, a moron and he was just bad energy and he was just a twat. And I had two choices in that moment to go fuck off or, or not. And I immediately went, Oh no, we're good. You know what? She was just sniffing. She didn't do anything, nothing for you to worry about. We're all good. And I'll get her right off. And I did. And he looked at me so surprised because I think he thought I was just going to bounce back at him. Uh, and he just had a huge smile on his face, like, thanks. And, you know, my better half kind of looked at me going, Jesus, we go <laughs> throw something on his lawn. I was like, oh, fuck it. It's not good energy. I just put, <laughs> you know, exactly who I'm talking about. Um, I don't know. I just think it's pretty easy to just kind of breathe because nobody else breathes. Just fucking breathe and go, yeah, no, that's cool. You don't want it on your lawn. Get it. I'll take, I'll make sure she doesn't go on your lawn. It's just so silly. It's such a minute moronic moment in time but mm-hmm. it's so easy to kind of bounce like sh- shoot back at the guy i go eh, we're good well and if you would have shot back it would have totally changed the trajectory of your next few hours and how you felt but you you didn't take that and you know what thanks for uh thanks for giving some of those good vibes and good energy this morning <laughs> you know your story it's really interesting to listen to your story and i learned things about you i didn't even know and i know the listener uh, going to get a lot of value out of this so thanks Nee. well i think it's fantastic you're doing this jordan it's awesome it's very cool there you have it thanks for checking out it's not a straight line if you enjoyed this episode please subscribe on apple podcasts follow on spotify and if you can leave me a review provide me some feedback and i wish you all the best as you find your way in your career and life